We're continuing here in Gethsemane. And everything, and I really do mean everything, everything from Genesis 1-1 all the way to Matthew 26, is which where we are. is gathered up into this event of Jesus on the Mount of Olives. All of God's purpose in creation, all of his will, all of his decrees all of the work of his hands throughout history, everything has been moving toward this point. And what I think the Lord is wanting to emphasize is this. And I need to say this very carefully because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. As believers, we have a tendency to make of particular events in Jesus' life one event more important than the other. And that is not right to do. So typically, we would say the cross is the greatest. That's not right to say that. It's not how God works. It's not how God thinks. With the resurrection, it's not how God thinks. Because, you see, once we begin to declare aspects of the life and ministry of Christ, we are declaring what God himself has not declared. Because in the, in the mind of God, The incarnation, remember, that is the enfleshment when Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. In the mind of God, that is the next aspect of his one purpose. And so all of these events are moving forward, each one depending on absolutely and completely on the previous one. And so as we move forward, which one does not depend on the previous, which one stands alone, where there is nothing like that? And so we need to be careful not to overemphasize one event over the other's. It is important to know this, that what we have here from Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, is the purpose of God in revealing himself and sharing himself with a people with whom he is well pleased. 
That's the event. That's the event. And everything else is a stepping stone, if you would, toward the completion and the fruition of that event. And so we come to Gethsemane. And we typically read through Gethsemane, this is what happened, and Jesus went in, and the disciples were snoring away, and Jesus is praying, comes back a few times, whatever, because we're wanting to get to the cross, where in our minds, this is the glory of God. May I say this very clearly and emphatically? Every aspect, every breath in this man is fully the glory of God. Amen? Because this man in himself, by himself, is the living, breathing glory of God in a man, in man, as a man. So let's be careful how we consider all of this. So we've come to this place. where we see the plan of God crescendoing. You know what I mean? Did I say that word correctly, clearly? As a crescendo. You know, in an orchestra, it builds up and it builds up and it builds up, and then boom, the great orchestra proclaims in its mightiness whatever the composer is wanting to proclaim. And we're coming there. And we come to the garden And in the garden is the greatest, and I'll deal with this next week a little more, the greatest cosmic battle of all time. The battle is in the garden. The payment is at the cross. There's no battle at the cross. There's payment at the cross. There is at the cross a surrendered man. But that man is surrendered at the cross because he had battled through in Gethsemane. And so I want us, hopefully I, hopefully the Holy Spirit, I say I, I don't like to say I want us. I don't like that. I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to see Gethsemane in a way perhaps that we haven't seen and hopefully to experience Gethsemane in a way that we haven't experienced before. So it not becomes the biggest thing, but it becomes larger than it typically is for us as believers. Father, Father, this is so far beyond a man to say it, to explain it, to understand it. And so, Father, as with every absolute thing about you, every aspect of you, Father, we're asking for and we will receive by your grace revelation, understanding. Father, give us in these next weeks the experience in a deeper way of who you are, who you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not sure if I'm going to get through the lesson today. Verses 30 to 35. 
you remember last week what we talked about. We've talked about the previous verses, right? The previous verses. Okay. Verses 30 to 35. And when they had sung a hymn, they, who's they? Jesus and the disciples. They went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, I want you to, as I read this, I want us to see what he is saying and have a clear apprehension of Jesus' understanding. See what he is saying here and what he actually knows. I'm getting ahead of myself. He says to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, again, how does he know? How does he know, Jody? The scriptures tell me that. Strike the shepherd and the sheep, what? Will scatter. Somebody said that to somebody somewhere. Strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to scatter. How does Jesus know what's going on? I want to make sure we emphasize this over and over again because it is such a weakness in the church. Jesus knows what's happening. He is prepared. He is ready. Everything about what he is doing is written where? Not in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. Without the Old Testament, Jesus would never have been born into the world and would never have been able to be our Savior. Can you say amen? Absolutely, the Old Testament is the critical foundation upon which Jesus comes into the world and performs the ministry. I just want to caution you of one thing. There is a book out by a fellow named Andy Stanley. And he is attacking the Old Testament. Do not fall for false teaching. How does Jesus know who he is? Scriptures. How does he know the Father's purpose? Scriptures. How does he know specifically, specifically what is going to happen? The Scriptures. How does he know what the results of this will be? The Scriptures. As applied and revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. So two truths here. Scriptural content, the revelation of its meaning and application by the Spirit. And so as I... (laughs) I'm struggling to not, to not do this, but to go forward. But how do we know how to live, what to do, how to be prepared? The most significant study in our life, both naturally and spiritually, both presently and eternally, is the study of the Scriptures. And it is Satan's design to do whatever he can to both dissuade us and deceive us. 
into making our time with God in the scriptures by the Holy Spirit to be not as significant as watching the news, reading my newspaper, doing my homework, or whatever it is. That is a great deception. Can you say amen? So hopefully, you know, I don't know how any of us will be remembered in life after we're gone. And I don't know how I'll be remembered. No telling how. But I can tell you one way I want to be remembered. One of several ways, but one way at least. I want you to remember when they say my name, you say the word of God. I want that. I want that. Why? Because without that, John, I ain't got nothing. I ain't nobody going nowhere fast. And neither are you. All of you shall fall away. How do you know that? How does he know it, Steve? He's read it. He's read it. And the Holy Spirit says, you see that verse you just read? Yes. Jesus, probably a little boy reading this verse, Henry. You see that verse you just read, young man? Yes. It's about you. Beth, he says, it's about you. This is you. Because he had to grow in knowledge of the word. Remember Luke 2.52? Grew in favor with God and man. Remember that? He had to grow. He didn't know all this when he was birthed into the world. He had to learn it. And so, what are you teaching Grayson? You better. What are you teaching your children? What are we teaching? So, let me encourage us today. If nothing else comes out of this class today, let this be it. I want us, I believe that God wants us to do what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Now, he is talking about a little bit different, but I want us to look at that word, examine yourself. Examine your time with God in the word. Examine it. Evaluate it. Compare it. Phil Widener was talking to me the other day, and I think it was Phil. And, wait, wait, oh, I thought you were going to sit down. There's nothing there. And so... Phil was talking, I think it was Phil, and he said he's come to realize that the first thing he does in the morning is open his Bible, not look at his computer. Somebody said that. I don't know whether it was you or somebody. Somebody was saying, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to look at my tablet or my iPhone or whatever it is. I'm putting all that aside. I go to the Word of God first. So men, women, young people in the room, Let us be people of the word. I can tell you we're not getting through the whole lesson today. I can tell you that. But I I, I just have such a burden here for for us to see that this man was who he was and accomplished what he did. And had the faith and the motivation and the empowerment for for it from the Spirit because 
of the Word of God. In fact, he himself is the living Word of God as a man who had as a man to learn about himself, if you would. Right, Frank? He is this who he is, and he had to learn as a man who he is by looking at the Scriptures, and he was learning himself by the Holy Spirit. But then look at verse 32. He says, I will strike the shepherd. He's talking about what the word says about what God would do. Verse 32. Notice this. But after what? I am raised up. Keep these two thoughts in your mind before, as we proceed. And uh, this is already next week's lesson. And I'm, you know, whatever. But keep two thoughts in your mind as we proceed into Gethsemane. Jesus understands and knows the crucifixion is ahead, and he also understands and knows that the resurrection is ahead. Do you see it? How does he know I'm going to be raised up? Billy, how does he know that? He knows the Scripture. You will not allow your anointed one to what? In old King James, seek or what? Experience what? Corruption. Somebody said that to somebody somewhere. And when he read that scripture from Psalms, the Holy Spirit said what to him, Raul? This is about you. It's about you. So he knew it. This is my father's promise to me. Promise. I'm saying all this because there is an element or an issue coming forward that we'll be getting into that is absolutely central to this whole thing which is the centrality of the battle itself in Gethsemane as we move forward. How does he know that he's going to be raised up? Ricky, how does he know? The Scriptures. Anton, how does he know? The Scriptures. And who taught him the Scriptures? The Holy Spirit, as Jesus applied himself to the reading and the memorization and the meditation upon the Scripture. Reading, memory, meditation. And the Holy Spirit was there. That's how he knows. And then he says, I'm going to go before you to Galilee. He, he not only knows he's going to be raised up, but he also knows what he's going to do after that. I'm going to be raised up. I'm going to go to Galilee. Do you see the specificity that God is giving Jesus? And God will give us the same specificity in our lives in relation to any and every issue whatsoever. And you may say, well, it is not in the word whether I should buy this house or take this job, whatever. It is not in the word that way. But the specificity of the revelation and the voice and the speaking of the Holy Spirit is in the word. And we can have that and we should have that in any and every category of our lives. Amen. And that's where it comes from. People say, well, in the word, I know that God. No, you, you don't. You don't. Well, does that mean I have to submit everything? Yes, our minds should be so in tune to the Holy Spirit that every breath we take, every step, we, we walk everywhere we go, any and every situation, we are so in tune to that voice. That voice. That voice. That's how God wants us to live. Isn't that right? It's being called what? Being led by the Spirit. Isn't this right? He says, we're going to go to Galilee. I'm going to be crucified. 
I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be raised up. And we're getting back together in Galilee. Now, Peter, you got to watch these guys like Peter. And all of us are here. It's just not a name. It's all of us. We all are this man. Listen. And he says to him, though they all fall away because of me, I will never, never follow. I will never deny you, Jesus. Never. It's not happening. These other people are weak in faith. I'm not. Jesus said to him, truly I say this very night before the rooster crows, you would deny me three times. And Peter said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, Jesus explained what's going to happen. The shepherd is going to be struck. The sheep are going to be scattered. And Peter passionately, with great fervor, I will never deny you. How many of us would say, I will never deny Jesus? I will never deny Jesus. And yet, and yet, sadly, our lives, our thoughts, our actions, our relationships, Deny him regularly. Is this true or not? Yes. Now, am I saying this to condemn us? Of course not. But what has to be said has to be said. We typically read the word of God. Peter denied Jesus and oh, it was terrible and he shouldn't have done that. Okay, fine. Or whatever. But we fail to see that this is a man who is acting in the natural passion of his flesh. So Jesus says what? You're going to deny me. Now, not only are going to deny me, what you're going to do? You're going to deny me three times. Three times. But Peter protests, even if I must die, I'll never deny you. And then all the disciples chime in. We're with Peter. We're with Peter. We'll never do it. We'll never do it. It's not going to happen. There's nobody that can make me deny Jesus. Oh, really? So what was going on? Was Peter serious or just showing off? What do you think? Do you think Peter was serious or just showing off? I I believe this is a serious expression of a great fervor and a passion in this man. You see, what, what was the problem then? Peter had passion without power. He had passion without power. He had not yet been given, you remember, the Holy Spirit. Now, we have passion and we have power if we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Correct? If we have the Holy Spirit living on us, do we have his power? Yeah, we may need more exercise of it, more release of it, more experience of it, et cetera. But we have the Holy Spirit, and when you have the Holy Spirit, you have the power of God. Peter had the passion, but he didn't have the power. See, this is the reason why 
Jesus told the disciples in Luke 24, 49, he says, I'm going to send you what my father had promised. I'm going to send you or give you the gift that the father promised. So stay in the city until you have been clothed from on high with what? Power. You need power. This is after the resurrection. You remember Jesus tells them that. And so when does that, what does he say in Luke 1, 18? What does he say in, I'm sorry, in Luke 1, 8? What does he say? Essentially the same kind of thing. What does he say? You will be clothed with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You remember that? So look at the difference. Here is a man at dinner saying and swearing, not in a curse word, but, you know, passionately stating, I'm not going to deny you. Then you remember jumping ahead a little bit, a little girl starts asking him some questions around the fireside, and he totally falls apart. Now, you know, and, and, and I understand I'm not deprecating the smiles, but all of us smiled about that. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. How many of us fall apart when someone says something to us? How many of us fall apart when we don't get our way? How many of us fall apart when, and you fill in the blanks? You see? We have to be careful not to assign all this to that man, Peter, but to embrace it as the central issue of our humanity. We continually fall apart, and we cannot, under any circumstance, do anything not to deny Jesus, anything not to deny Jesus. Remember that? Did you get that? Without the power of the Holy Spirit, unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit. So Peter's passion after the resurrection is still there. But on the day of Pentecost, remember Acts 2, this is not the same man, James. He is standing, remember 9 o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden something happens in this upper room, and the Holy Spirit comes upon these people, and they begin to speak in other languages, other tongues called glossolalia, you know, the speaking of languages. And it's as if fire were on their heads. Remember that? And the Holy Spirit totally fills the room and empowers these believers. <laughs> these are believers in the room before the Holy Spirit fills them. Isn't that right, Phil? These people are believers. They are not coming, become, they did not become a believer on that day. They already were believers. Therefore, Jesus says, go and stay and hang around a little bit in Jerusalem until you're empowered. Correct? They're already believers. And so why does he do that? Because he says, you need not only the Holy Spirit, obviously, but you need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in a specific and dynamic way. We believe that still happens today and is for us today. And if you were here this morning having never been filled or having never experienced something or work of the Holy Spirit in that way, just start asking God, Father, I want to experience being filled with the Holy Spirit. I want greater power. I want greater passion. 
I don't want to be denying you as I have been. I want the power and passion of the Spirit of God to overcome this. Fill me with your Spirit. We fail to do that. And yet Jesus says, none of you going into ministry until you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what he said? And this is the same power of the Spirit that anointed Jesus to accomplish the Father's work. It's the same power. You remember that? Matthew or Luke, whichever, chapter 3. And Jesus was in the wilderness and he went out to be baptized. And he submitted to the baptism of John. And he submitted to going under the waters and coming up out of the waters. And the Spirit descended upon him as a dove. Remember that? Before that, did Jesus have the Spirit? Well, of course he did. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He had the Spirit before. Was he a saved man in that vernacular? Wasn't Jesus saved before he went into the wilderness to be baptized? Well, certainly was. Even the Lord Jesus had to have the empowerment and the anointing of the Spirit in order to fulfill the Father's purpose. There was no way this man could have fulfilled the Father's purpose without this anointing and empowerment. That almost sounds heretical, doesn't it? But that shows God's way of doing things. We absolutely have to have it this way. We must have the Holy Spirit, and in order to accomplish the work of the Holy Spirit, we must have him in greater power increasingly. Not just an experience one time, and then that's it. That's it. That's it. So I would recommend, sorry, I would say to you clearly and emphatically, every day when you wake up, obviously, yes, praise God, thank God, etc., But one of the things do, ask that day for the empowering anointing of the Holy Spirit upon you for this day. Father, I am asking for the empowering anointing of your spirit for this day. We forget it. I'm having the front of my house painted. And if any of you have seen my house, our house, sorry, Gina, my house. The top of the house, the peak, is about 62 feet high. And so I don't want them to bring 60-foot ladders into this yard like we did years ago. There's no way. So we rented, what do you call the big old boon, what did cherry pick with lift with a 60-foot boon. So they can get up there and do it all, you know, wash it down and paint it and so on. They're in this big bucket. And so on. so the thing's sitting on the sidewalk and reaches way over to the house, up in the air, whatever. I'm fine. So I came home yesterday. I go out in the morning and do my studying. So I came home, what, 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 about 9.30, 9 o'clock, whatever. And was this yesterday or the day before? Friday. It was yesterday. Okay. Here, here are two old people. We don't even know what happened yesterday. <laughs> you see what happened because you did that happy birthday thing. You threw it off completely. <laughs> this is just, this is why I'm king of the old people. Huh? Whatever, what day is today? Today, Monday or Tuesday? Whatever day it was yesterday. 
I came home from somewhere. Friday was our granddaughter's, oldest granddaughter's wedding. Yes. You see, that was sneaky to get into that. Huh? Hey, Phil, got it, man, got it. And so came home, I don't know, 10 o'clock, and whatever it is. And they're out there. They had the big bucket thing on the ground, you know, banging on it. I said, what's the matter? The thing won't work. I mean, the thing won't work. Now, if any of you know me, you know how... Any of you know me, you know how patient I am. So you know how patient I am. And so, is this on camera? And so, listen, 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 listen. Peter says, I'll never deny you. Listen to me. I'll never deny you. Jamal, I'll never deny you. They're out there. I'll look at that. What's the matter? It's just, it's just you know, it won't work. You know, they're trying to get, he's doing this, and it's just not going anywhere. And I'm thinking, oh, my word. Okay. I said, well, we're gonna, what we're going to have to do, if this thing doesn't work, then Monday we're going to have to call this company, and they had to bring it back, but they're not charging. I'm not paying for this, and I'm out there telling them what's going on. <laughs> listen, listen. I will never deny you. Do you hear the denial in that, Darlene? Did you hear the denial? Someone said yes. Did you hear the denial? Bob, did you hear it? Harold, did you hear the denial? Phage, denial. Oh, never. Yeah, this isn't what we're going to do. Frank, here's what we're going to do, brother. And all of a sudden, that voice says to me, you finished? You okay now? You got it out of your system? And the voice says, testify to them about me. Now, you may say, well, I had to run inside, get my big Bible and tell them, well, God so loved the world. No, no. That's not the testimony. I've just ruined that testimony. <laughs> right? Am I the only one who's ruined the testimony of God in my life from time to time? And the Lord says, tell them that you're going to pray. And I said, okay, because, I've, I've, you know, I've, hopefully all of us have had these experiences. We've done this before. It wasn't like, <laughs> So I told Mitchell, Mitchell's the fellow in charge. I said, Mitchell, I'm going to pray that the Lord fix the machine. And, and he was glad of that. You know, Mitchell came over there, and he and his son came over there to work. And I told his son, we're going to pray. Kind of, he kind of looked at me like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I went over there, laid my hand on it. I didn't sew yelling. I said, Father, I ask you to rebuke the work of the enemy. I ask you to bless this in Jesus' name, something like that. Would you cause it to work? I go back inside and do, 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 do come out a little. It's working. It's working. What am I getting at? I find myself too quickly denying Jesus, denying Him. Romans two twenty four. Because of you, the name of God has been blasphemed 
among the Gentiles. And so I had the ability as a son of God to call his name into ill repute. And Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. Peter, Peter had the passion, but not the power. This is the power that Peter lacked with which Jesus entered the Mount of Olives. The power that, Jesus, that Peter lacked, Jesus entered within the context and under and within and imbued with and filled with the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. He had the Spirit without measure, without measure. In a man who had no sin, this is how he entered Gethsemane. So for next week, let's read the scripture here about this titanic battle, this struggle, this operation of the power of the Holy Spirit in a man, a man, a human being, a man. And not only see what God does in and through his son, but what he can and will do in and through us as we call upon, ask for, receive, and obey that power of the Holy Spirit. Correct? Let us not see the incarnation and the work of Jesus in saving us as accentuating Jesus personally and only. But let us see it as really the very active involvement of every person, the three persons of the Trinity. Correct? We need to see it this way because this is the way we are saved and this is the way that we are to live. He lived by faith in God the Father by the Holy Spirit. Now, we, by Galatians 2.20, live by faith in the Son of God, by the Holy Spirit, through our knowledge of the Scriptures. Correct? So that's the way our lives do not deny Jesus. See you next week.